Hello, everybody. This is Howie here with the Roldorf Cafe. A couple weeks back, Jason and I sat down in the store with our good friend Jason Lim from Halios. And uh, yeah, we had a really great conversation um, about uh, his watches and about uh, the industry. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoy. This is episode nine of the Roldorf Cafe. Yeah, going well. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for doing this. So this is actually the podcast. I think so. Okay, sounds good. Now let's well, just roll loose. with it. Let's do a wrist check first. Of okay. All. Yeah, I'm wearing the Raldorf edition <laughs> steel with the uh, the green and charcoal dial. What you got? Liv? I've got the Universa with the blue dial on the bracelet. And oh, um, for those that, that really care, Damn. you know, I'm just wearing the same watch that I tend to wear every single day which is my Martin Baker 3. The, th the thing that I love about that watch is that that's the one you feel the most comfortable with. So one day, I want to make the kind of watch that somebody will always reach for, time after time. It's, it is about that. It's about that watch that you can just slip on your wrist, no matter what, and it just sits there all day long, no matter whether you look at it each day. <laughs> It's it, a, it's almost like it a blanket, matter. like a secure. It's almost like a like a charm. It, just fits. it is, yeah. and I've heard so many people say, and uh, you know, I've heard this uh, topic brought up on the Grey NATO and other podcasts about the one the one watch. watch, which would be the one watch, you know, and it, it's not about brands. It's 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 no, not it's at all yeah. about that. It's just about how it fits, how it feels. So and, I find for 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 watches like I really like my Waldorf edition. Yeah. And it's like, I'm just, I'm, I'm starting to get a deeper connection to it. And I don't know if it's because I love how it looks or because I love the experience that we went through making these. Yeah. It's probably both of them, you know, cause I have several watches that I wear, but it just seems, it seems like I'm just now really getting into this watch in a deeper way. You know what I mean? And I think it's like, like having that one watch, it's not so much, it can be any watch. That's the beauty. It can be anything. Absolutely. It's like, yeah. I think it's like friendships in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, say totally. You, say you meet someone you really like, and you're like, this, this, this person's really cool, but you're not really friends yet. Right? You haven't been through anything together. You haven't done anything. You haven't had, a, you know, you had, whatever. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? And yeah. then you, get, you go through stuff with people, and then you become friends. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think watches are a similar thing if it's on your wrist when something happened, or, you know, and then, it, it, you know, it was a gift. And like, these things, I think, are what tie watches to us totally so jason yes have you had an experience which is that one watch which you've had for a long time which you just slip on your wrist every once in a while and and it's like here it is mm -hmm. no <laughs> good <laughs> no and you know what that that singular thing is what keeps me going to keep striving to create to that one new. watch because the stuff that I come up with, like right now I'm completely obsessed with square watches, mm. as we've discussed many times. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and and it's, it's constantly finding that, that one watch that you're always going to reach for. Right. And I don't think I'm ever going to get there, because I love the variety too much, I love the that, process well, too much. That's the thing, like maybe you don't, maybe you're just not 
about the one life. That's right. But the pursuit of it is so beautiful. Mm. Just chasing that. It's just sure. amazing. Sure. Like, well, maybe, I like for me, I'm almost like afraid to have one watch. It's like if I, if I become the one watch guy, then, then I'm not going to, what about all these other watches to enjoy? You know? Yeah. It's, it's like marriage. You, you, you know what? You're, you know, that, that brings up a very, very good point. Because for me with this watch, yeah. it wasn't that kind of watch that I thought immediately when I got it, this was going to be my one watch. It, it was um, a, a, totally an experiment. Mm -hmm. It was like, okay, I'm going to try this, see, see what it's like. And all of a sudden it turns around to, to be that that watch that I wear pretty much every day. So anyone coming into the store will typically see me see right. me wearing it. It might be part of me being lazy, but it's also for the fact that, you know, it just fits. It, it, it You you yeah. like that one. as soon as you came back from the, from the townhouse with that, you were you were in love right away. It was love at first sight for sure. Yeah. And maybe it was because you put a ding on it like within hours. There is that there is that story behind it. So yeah, there's the ownership. For sure. Where and it's it, like it shows it, you, right? And it did include removing clothing and stuff like that when it happened. So you yeah. mean before or after that? No. Well that was during <laughs> while I was removing the clothing, yes. You know, you can you don't happened. have to go through too many details. No, okay. And I yeah. think for you, Jason, I think it has to be a, a British brand as well. I think that fits very well with, what, what do you think? Yeah, I, you know, it, it, that was not intentional in any way. It, it was just something before we took on uh, Bramont, um, I, I just wanted to see how it would feel on me first. Um, so I took that plunge before I agreed to anything with with Vermont to bring Vermont into the store. I bought the watch and uh, I put it on immediately as I as I was heading up to uh, Heathrow Airport. Like I, I I went took a taxi straight out to Mayfair, looked at the watches, chose this one, put it on my wrist. Was and it, and my flight was within like two and a half hours. <laughs> at that point, it was just like put it on and for. As I was in the taxi, it was just like, hmm, didn't like the rubber strap at all, right? Yeah. And so it was just like, but that's okay. How, how's the watch head feeling on my wrist? And that is the key thing. Because your straps, you can find anything. You, you can find the cool stuff. Especially you, yeah, a couple of posts this week that uh, you've put out there with regard to uh, uh, CNC, those uh, gorgeous straps that people have commented on. And it's like, yeah, you know what? It's fantastic. You change that strap out. Don't go with the original strap. It's like, find the one which is you. And that's the beauty that's of straps. Yeah. yeah. It's an, and that's why it's, I think having a, having a watch that is versatile in its in its lugs so that you can switch it up yeah is i think really nice because then you can have you have options yeah. you know you can do whatever you want and i think that's that that's the cool thing about uh halios like um there i was tonight just uh texting texting images of this guy that was at the white caps game right in front of me he had this 
incredible strap that looked like it it may have been made by uh, combat straps. And he was wearing a halyard. Whatever. He was wearing a uh, Definitely stingray. Yeah, yeah, it was the Halios um, uh, pastel blue uh, Seaforth. I think it was the Stacy, which is the 12-bar bezel. It was the Stacy, yeah. The 12-bar bezel, bezel, yeah. Most definitely. That was hilarious when you sent me that picture. I couldn't believe it. That's so cool. That's wild. And I've been watching this guy in front of me because my eye first caught the fact that he was wearing um, an uh, all-steel G-Shock, right? Which is... A fairly unusual watch. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, and uh, so then tonight, it's like it. It was like a complete change, which was completely serum, uh, serendipitous. Of, serendipitous. Uh, of uh, serendipitous. serendipitous of uh, us doing the podcast tonight. But it was like, <laughs> oh my god, there it is! How awesome. amazing is that? Yeah, with. Really uh, the pearls going through the strap itself, a couple of uh, oh, stitches at the end, and it was brilliant. Good. So, so Jason, this is uh, a really exciting time for you because you've got some new releases that that are coming up. You, you know, uh, we just did the uh, rolled off edition, and uh, and now, uh, yeah. So now you got a whole so what's plethora going on? of goodies coming out, which is crazy. How are you managing all that? You're just coming out with three, just like a trifecta hat trick of just madness. Yeah, I That's think, yeah. Awesome. I, I don't know how I'm managing it. I okay. think I'm managing it well yeah. right this moment because I've got a <laughs> Thor's yeah. Hammer barley wine in my hand. <laughs> it says 11.5 alcohol by volume. Oh my so gosh. I'm handling it pretty well right now. <laughs> yeah, good. But well, I mean, anything we can do to help. Yeah, thank yeah. you. But it's super exciting. And, yeah. you know, we've talked about this before. Um, this is actually the 10-year anniversary for Helios. Really? Yeah. So I'm going to commemorate it by doing three um, collaborations. Okay. A couple in the works, but the last one that's the, the most dear to me will be one with you guys. Crazy. Well, we haven't really hashed out the details yet, but yeah. I'm sure we'll come up with something cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's great, man. Ten years. Ten years. Congratulations. Yeah. You know, it's when you when you look at that and you look at any independent watchmaker and you look at the the, the road that's traveled to get to this point, it isn't easy. It really, really isn't easy. There's there's so many factors that are involved with this. And you know, I never I, I don't think I really understood that until we actually did that uh, our collaboration mm. and 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 saw it come together because you know oh my god there's there are so many different factors that are involved so many different thoughts so many different ideas you put it together you put it out there and you're and you're really not too sure how the thing is going to be accepted, right? Yeah, because you know that was a big part of the at, at H10 Maximilian Bousset talking yeah. about that. About every time they put something out, it's just like a you know you 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 fall in love with what you're doing, but you but putting it out is this this big. It's, it's like scary. I hope I hope people love it. Yeah. But, but at the same time, you can't expect people love it because people are going to do what they're going to do. But then you have this attachment. As it's a, as yeah, a it's insane to me. And you've how many how many releases have you done in ten years? 
Uh, a few. Yeah. But no, I was going to say, it was insane to me to hear someone at his level right. express any sort of insecurity or doubt. No or, doubt. Yeah. It's like, holy no crap. Doubt. And that's, that's the cool thing about this, this, this industry as well. Sure. There's so many ways to approach it. There's so many avenues. Yeah. Like, I would not consider myself an independent watchmaker by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, I'm just taking a different road. Mm. You know, I'm not concentrating on revolutionizing timekeeping or anything like that. I'm really focused on the design, yeah. where watches fit into daily lives. And mm. it's, a, it's maybe a connection you have it's, with it's, what you like. Yeah, it's a very personal collect connection that I have to, to watch collecting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that was such a great talk at HD. Yeah, so good. It's amazing. But all those guys were amazing. Yeah. yeah. And so, so down to earth as well, so approachable. Yeah. Mm. So I met Max yeah. in Geneva one time. That's right, you mentioned that. Right, and he was having dinner with his family. And we're just like like giggling schoolgirls. You see him and we're like, you're like, hey, Max. And he was so gracious. He stopped his dinner. He's like, took the time to chat with us. He's like, amazing. He doesn't have to do that. No, he doesn't have to. But at to. the same time, that's probably part of the success, really. Because I think when you're, when you're, when you're as an independent, like, and I think in any industry, it's like being liked is a big part of it. But here, here, here's the important thing. This is what I found, mm. especially being at San Francisco with all the micro brands. What I'm finding is that you can't really fake what you're not. Yeah, exactly. So if you're gonna come and you know be like the, the man of the people and pretend you care about watchmaking, but you don't really, right. and you just want to sell shit. I mean, yeah. watches. Yeah. You know, people are gonna they're gonna see through it. Yeah, exactly. They see through it right, right away. away. Like it right away. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But if you're passionate about it and you're excited of what you're bringing. It, that's infectious right away. Right. And if you've got some, like, some, a good resume, so to speak, like, you, yeah. you know, you know what you're talking about, people are like... Yeah. And Jason, you're, you're, you're in contact with a few of the superstars <laughs> of the horological world. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's an unusual thing, you know, because when you go to school with, with people and you see them when they're young, when they're 17 or so, 18, and then you see them now as being, you know, on the cover of Rolling Stone with regard to watches. It's it's an it's an odd thing because you know things. You've grown up with them. You've you've seen them for who they are and uh, and what they can do. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's very for me anyway. It's it's incredibly humbling, and I see that which is what I think you have seen with Max Busser um, when, you, when you approached him, because he is a normal guy, and all these guys, they are normal guys, and they just have this incredible passion yeah. that, that I don't know where it really came from, right? Yeah, I, I mean, we, we all emerged, uh, well, at my age anyway, from this, from this very very dark period in in the industry for the Swiss industry right that where we really didn't know what the heck was was gonna happen here we were young watchmakers going out there mm -hmm. and trying to find find our way and um, and we didn't really know I mean I found my way into Rolex and blah 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 and then eventually came out to Canada but but some of these guys, they, they pushed through, they, they you know, um, worked in London or, or went out to AP 
yeah, and uh, ended up sort of getting sort of a grounding at that point. And it was really, it's really inc kind of incredible to, uh, to see because that was the foundation for who they truly are today. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's, I, I don't know, you know, they, those guys, they, they stuck to it. They, they, they got a design ethic. They, they saw what was truly going on in the, in the industry and what the industry needed. Mm -hmm. And they went down it and it wasn't just one. It was a few people. Sure. Because like the options were limited, right. right? Yeah, it was a spark that year. Yeah, yeah. But I think yeah. timing is interesting too, because it's a whole new, it's a it's a new uh, era in in watchmaking, and those guys, I think, were at the beginning of that. So they, I think, in, in some way, were yeah. lucky because it's a whole different playing field that they have sort of created yeah. themselves. Yeah. This this idea of an independent watchmaker. Before that, it wasn't there was no independent watchmakers. Everybody was independent watchmakers. It's like but now I think you have these big houses and these big conglomerates yeah. and having these independents really, they, they shine extra bright because of that contract. Yeah, abs ab absolutely. So let me ask you, you two, starting with Howie. Yeah. You guys are trained watchmakers. Mm -hmm. You have the skills to pay the bills. Skills to pay the bills? Skills to pay the bills. <laughs> yeah, most of them, most of the bills. If let's say, you know, let's say funding wasn't an issue, where would you like to be in the world of horology, I, I I think I'm right where I want to be in a way. I, for me, um, horology is about collecting the knowledge of what it is, and like I'm I'm new. I'm I've only been doing this for like like four years now, mm -hmm. and it's like my my the bug I have is just collecting the knowledge, and it's like. You know, when I started with Jason, it was like I was just like, show me how to poise, how to how to poise dynamically poise. Like I, I need to learn this. You know, I was like, show me all this stuff. I just want to soak it in. So if I had unlimited resources, it would be along that same path. Right. But I'm, I'm but I think I'm getting that anyways. Right. So for you, the knowledge, the yeah, gaining more knowledge. Yeah, that's that's my bug right now. That's awesome. Sure. And then I think once I get knowledge, then I have this palette of colors mm. that I could mm -hmm. do a lot potentially. That's interesting. Yeah. Mr. Gallup. For me, it's, yeah, it's very interesting because um, I always imagine myself starting up a school. Um, when I first came out to Canada, that was the, 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 the key thing for me. I wanted to impart that knowledge um, that would give people an advantage because I knew that I was fairly privileged with what I, what I knew at that point, right? Um, and I think this carries on with, with what Waldorf & Co is because I wanna be able to, to be able to take on new watchmakers and, and be able to give them the, the things that they truly need to be able to be really, really successful and uh, in their careers and, and be able to, to be able to say, hey, you know what, you know what? Doesn't matter the school that I've been with, but I've been able to have this experience here and I've been able to see so many different things. And, uh, and hey, it's, 
it's 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 a it's a good apprenticeship, and I think that that ultimately is 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 it for me. Um, you know, I'm not one of these rock star guys. Sure you are. Uh, Look at you. You know, it's 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 one of those one of those things where Vancouver really ultimately is an outpost in the watch world. You know, aside from going into Asia. Vancouver, from from a Westerner's point of view, is is kind of that new frontier, mm. and we 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 see it, Howie and I, in so many different ways here, where we we're, we're really trying to show people and educate people in in uh, what we do and what's going on, and it's and and that for me is really really cool, you know I I want to impart my knowledge, I want to impart my enthusiasm. And uh, I think I captured that with, uh, with Howie. And I think, hopefully, we'll, we'll capture that with uh, anyone else that uh, tends to want to join us moving, uh, moving forward. Yeah, I think, it, I think that's exciting. Like you said, there is a very nascent sort of watch community here. Yeah. It is growing, and I think you guys are kind of at the forefront. Let's talk about your San Francisco trip. The show was amazing. <laughs> You know what? It was how many uh, different uh, sort of brands were showcasing there? Do you think? Oh my God! Uh, Ten, fifteen. I think it was 30, 20, twenty to thirty. 20? Yeah. Probably twenty to thirty, okay. I'd say. Yeah. So, how does like as as sort of uh, micro brands? Mm -hmm. I guess that's sort of the focus of, of this of these this show. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Is it similar to like what Basel is, or is it like what? What's the contrast between these? Kinds yeah, of shows? It very, it very, very different. Um, when you go to Basel, um, unless you have appointments, you're not really going to get in and, and see watches, handle watches. You, it, it would be like walking down, if, if you're from, from Vancouver, yeah. Alberni Street, seeing the boutiques, looking in the windows and going, oh my God, there's the latest thing. Right. That's what, what Basel is. Warner Mound is, is very, very different. This, this is a group of people that's, that are very, awesome. very passionate that's, about what they're doing. And they want to, people want to talk. They want to know your story. You want to know their story. They're showing you, you know, the, the, the fruits of their creations. And they've come from everywhere. I mean, oh my God. Um, like North America? Or, or like Faro. Uh, however you want right. to produce it. Coming all the way from the UK, Damasco too, yeah. and Damasco from from Germany, Archimedes, Archimedes as well. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 amazing that they they oh, made that that that, yeah. that trip um, to show their pieces, and they're so genuine. Everyone is so genuine. So are these are these watch companies showing at Basel too? Laco Laco does Oris as well. They're they probably and the Oris biggest. Yes. And Stoi Stova yeah, is usually there. They usually do the New York one. Yeah. But yeah. the the vibe that I kind of um, um, kind of compare it to is kind of like a farmer's market or a okay. artisan craft market. Okay, cool. So it's like the dude that grew the mushroom that you're gonna buy right now. Yeah. And you can talk to them about the terroir, the soil, whatever. Amazing. And, you know, the taste of whatever yeah. mushrooms that he offers. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the vibe that, that I think Wind Up offers. And everyone is fully aware of the struggle. 
the struggle. The, the struggle it takes <laughs> to actually get to that point. Like you artists, have an idea, you want to bring it forward, an artist struggle. I think right? if artists aren't struggling, they're not, they're not in the right game. Yeah. That's the whole point. What do you think? To a yeah. point. To a point. Isn't, yeah. it, isn't it kind of um, pretentious if you call your work art, though? I think other people have to call your work art. You can't really say, no, well, well, you know, I make art. And well, this is the thing about art. Is art? <laughs> but I wouldn't call it. I wouldn't say, oh, you know, what I do is art. But you, you right? design yeah. stuff, and then you make yeah. stuff, and then you, here you go, stuff. Yeah, but that's for, for the audience to decide, not for mm. me to decide. Not yeah, for me to say, yeah, this yeah. is good, yeah, yeah, yeah. buy it, love but it. that's subjective, it's for too. To... That's subjective. It could be, an, an artist can, like, intentionally do, make ugly things, too. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think for what your the intention is to is to is to to relate, mm. right? Not just to be expressive, but to relate. This is I think where art can can kind of be can kind of be blurry. It's like sometimes artists only do it for themselves. Right? Yeah. They put it out there and yeah. I don't care if anybody likes it. It's right. Right. Do it for me. Right. Yeah. But for for watches, it's it's about connecting. Yeah. Too. For it's sure. about doing. It's about covering yeah. both bases. Right. It's about making something that you like that you're inspired by that other people can resonate with other people. You know? Exactly, and that exudes there. It, yeah. it, 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 it really, really does, because uh, from the moment you walk through the door, you're not charged a fee to get in, right? Oh. Which is amazing. That's great. Right? So you just walk straight in, and immediately you're in a world of that you wouldn't expect, yeah. right? You've got watches, you've got a slightly bigger brand in the way of Boris, yeah. uh, propping things up. That's cool that they came though. I, th I think they they they're huge. They're huge. Boris they, is so badass. They're so they're, badass. Yes, yeah, but so they badass. but they're but they're on the left. They're so, I, so in touch with their enthusiast base for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they support these initiatives, right? Even yeah. at, even at Houdini Den, mm -hmm. right there, right in the middle of it, yeah. right. Which is absolutely fantastic. And so many brands that are there that are showing that they're so enthusiastic from, from Laco, Halios, Farah, Archimedes. It's like no matter what you want to see that's on the fringe of what is truly popular, right? It's there. If you want to get a vibe, it's there. Right. right, because you can feel it, you can talk to people, you can understand why they're doing these things, right? Yeah. Rather than going through a Basel, Basel world and, and sort of going, oh, well, this is the established. Who's made the biggest display kind of Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very, very different. Well, this is the thing about, about any, I don't know, it, unfortunately, I think there's an evolution of shows like Basel, I think was probably like that. Basel was probably more rootsy, more about connecting about. But then it just gets so big, it can't yeah. contain itself. Yeah. It doesn't know what to do with itself. So yeah. it has to be like it has to make an ex has to be exclusive in some way. Yeah. Right. And then, but then you have these sort of grassroots kind of shows that are refreshing that all, that are going to pop up. And San Francisco is the perfect venue for for such a thing. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, even. For people from Canada, a couple of hours flight, yeah. you know, it, it, people from the U.S. Uh, Midwest can can get out there. Yeah, it's it's great that they did a West Coast 
mm-hmm. show, especially for me. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> o- owning a brand in the space, being part of the landscape, I can't really get on board with, you know, bashing Basel, the big brands, because yeah. they did kind of pave the way for, you know, what we're employed in mm-hmm. and what, you know, we make a living off. So I, I do still love the big brands, so I can't completely say, oh, they're you know, shit in the bed or whatever. Yeah. But um, as far as wind-up goes, it's, like you said, Jason, it's a completely different vibe. And the reason why I participate is, um, number one, I love the, the, the one-on-one guys. Yeah. Amazing. So much energy. Completely genuine. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is I work solely by myself. Mm-hmm. So quite a solitary work environment. And it can kind of lead to sort of, um, you know, burnout if you let it. Just a day-to-day drudgery of, you know, admin stuff and emails and complaints and repairs mm-hmm. and forum comments. So it can kind of wear you down. But when I attend um, events like Windup or even H10, yeah. when I talk to customers, prospective customers, fellow enthusiasts, fellow brand owners, it just energizes you. It's like, holy shit, it's just like a jolt to the system. Yeah. And it's like, this is why I'm doing it. Sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, it's... I see that I see that in your how how easily it seems that you naturally are able to communicate with people about your watches. I like I look at, at your social media presence and it's inspiring, really. It is it, to you've sort of taken it you've taken the, the knees out of it and you've made it real. Where you've got this from from how I view it, the, the, you post and then you com- and then you comment and you reply and you've got this organic kind of relationship going on social media, which I think is just really refreshing and really nice because I can get dark about social media, like it's mm-hmm. the dark place, but you've kept light in there and I think that's really awesome. And how like I wonder how do you how you can juggle that or or how do you feel about about social media in relation to your your brand. You know what I mean? Like, like obviously fantastic for any business. Mm-hmm. But as you said, there's a dark side to it. I think I've kind of reconciled and come to terms with the fact that the price to pay for freedom, like such a freedom of expression is, you know, you get the, the stuff that people wouldn't really say to your face mm-hmm. otherwise. Sure. And that's mm-hmm. fine. And that's gold, actually. But the, the thing is, I mean, we're, we're so insulted by every single thing that comes out. I think it's okay to say things that are insulting but it's okay to be insulted by it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So like everybody has their say. Yeah. You can't say, oh, you shouldn't say that. Go ahead and say it. Yeah. As long as it's well thought out, as long as it's not just meant to, you know. As long as it's not personal. Personal's fine, whatever, I don't mean. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if you yeah. live on the internet and you build a business on the internet, you kind of have you to take personal. it in stride. Yeah. Like you're putting yourself out there. But I mean, you know, we're all grown-ups, yeah. right? So well, let's... Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. And so these shows are a way for those people that buy the watches to be able to have that connection with you personally. You know, it's like... Are we cheersing by the microphone? We, we are cheersing by the microphone. Are you still on that door Oh, yes. Um, and that, that is, is um, a level of affirmation, right? You can, you know, it, it doesn't matter how many um, questionnaires you put out there, MailChimp-wise, with, or, or whatever, uh, with regard to what do you think of my brand, blah, 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 are you gonna recommend my brand to, to anybody else? Being at the show, having people actually arrive and talk to you about it, 
is a very, very different experience, right? Being on that, that grassroots level is so very, very important. And I think this is something that's lost with the bigger brands. Um, they can't get to that level. I don't anymore. think people know how to do that in, in some ways. I think people are looking to that the future is about communicating in different ways, not about actually connecting to people. To one, people, one, yeah, one. Exactly. It's like, no, there's all these other platforms, there's all these other ways that you do it. Yeah. But when you break it down and you do the face-to-face, -face, yeah. it's immediately 10 times more valuable than any yeah. other way, I think. Can, it's can not I, that the big brands aren't doing that, though, at the same time. Can I ask a question? I'm not trying to yeah. start any shit or anything, but... Yeah. Um, it, do you think maybe it's a cultural communication sort of thing? Because with, with the, the big brands, which are predominantly Swiss, yeah. they use very they tend to use very flowery language. To, you know, they they, they like, throw out things like passion and it's a fantastic watch and this is the best thing since Nutella or Nutella. Mm -hmm. do, do you think that it's kind of a cultural thing? Because sure, I, I find that sure. with at least. All I know is, like, I grew up in North America, basically. And there tends to be a certain level of frankness that not, not just themselves, they, they offer to the customers, but the consumers kind of demand from them as well. Mm. So it's not as flowery. Yeah. I, I don't know, is it, is it a cultural thing? That's, that's a question. Well, the, frank, the frankness, I think, is with when you have the back and forth. Mm. But I think with the big companies, how much back and forth do they get? Mm. You know, the... the, the the bigger brands, they're 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 in control of their narrative way right. more because they're not they're not really responding to what people are saying necessarily. Okay, like directly, it's it feeds through a probably a, an interpretive think tank of people. How do we respond? And then they come out with an ad campaign mm -hmm. yes. that addresses it. And inputs very much filtered. Yeah, right. It's sure. going to go through many many different layers of uh, of filters before it actually gets to a point where it where where it's change can actually happen. Right, or yeah. where it's addressed, certain addressed. things. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. What do you think? We've been... I'm not going to get it. <laughs> what, what? Say it. The, that, uh, there was that Hodinkee article about that Rolex, the moon phase, where the, oh, the dial yes. was... It, the watch was sold at uh, for like 300,000 Swiss francs, and it had redone loom plots. Mm. But the guy who, who had bought it, there's an article today... And the guy who bought it had had it professionally redone and, and had put actual radium, original radium plots back onto it. Okay. And now it's back at auction. And the whole debate is like, is this watch going to now go for more? Because it has like period correct loom plots in mm -hmm. it. Though it is still a redone it's the same thing. It's, it's it's it does it's not the material that counts. It's the provenance. It's exactly. the history of it. This is the the debate. But they're saying that this watch is still gonna it's still gonna get sure. more money. It'll get money if someone's willing to pay for it. That's that's it. You well, can't. How can you peg a price on something that's just so esoteric? So just so, so nebular. That's who I like. Who makes crazy. the market? I don't know. Well, it's it's a it's a a granular yeah detail that I think the watch uh, community. Is really like digging into hard when it comes to these these things. When it comes to collecting vintage watches, if it's been touched in any way, you lose ten grand value. You know what? If it if it has X amount value to some person, that's what it's worth. Right. Just because you source radium from even like the same plot of land that the original was, it doesn't increase the value. That's no. artificial. That's engineering. Well, the, idea, the idea is is original versus restored. 
is the thing. Even if it's restored with the correct things, yeah. it's still restored. Mm -hmm. Right? So I think that is the, the, what's that question right now about vintage watches. Right. Which drives me nuts. But if someone pays for it, that's the value of it. That's bottom yeah. line. There's and no, that, that's the landscape. There's no right? intrinsic value. It's not like you're, no. you're weighing gold and what the market price is. Right. Yeah. So if someone's willing to pay it, that's what it's worth, totally. I think. That's a perfect answer. Yeah. I think that's the, the, we'll see how that changes in the next 20 years when it comes to collecting watches, when it comes to collecting anything. Yeah. Is like, what makes it valuable? Is it original? Right now with watches, it's mm -hmm. original, original, original. That's it. Yeah. But I think that, you know, 20 years it's ago, it wasn't yeah. about that. It's like, it's if watch would be worth very, the same. It's very short-sighted. Yeah. It's short-sighted now. Yes. But this is the thing about about time as it goes to, like, in anything, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change what people want, yeah. what people consider valuable. It's like they don't care if it's if it's been redone, or it, maybe it's worth more if it's been done properly, Yeah. Mm -hmm. et cetera. For sure. So did you say we're wrapping up? I don't know, are we? Because we can't wrap up before our second shout-out of the show. Oh, yeah. Boming, thank you for... Boming. Yeah, thank you for uh, getting us back on the horse when it comes to doing the podcast. Okay, so I have one tidbit about... came in and he was like, do a podcast, and we're like, we need to do a podcast. So, Super yeah. good guy. He, yeah. he, he, Amazing yeah. guy. He's been in here a couple of times, and he's just do you think like, he, you guys... Did he listen to the whole thing? Here? If you listen to the whole podcast... He better. <laughs> yeah. So so I liked Boming before when I met him. Yeah. Grabbed a couple of drinks with him. But I liked him even more after he bought probably the most badass purchase of the year. An Anordane pink dial watch. What? Not even like no, kind of pink, really? off pink. Like <laughs> wow. pink pink. Wow. And he's a big guy too. He is. And he can yeah, pull yeah. it off. Yeah. And it's kind of like made me kind of look at pink watches as well. Cool. And that's another cool company, Anordane, based in yeah. Scotland. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they fire their own enamel dials in-house. Mm. Um, they do the assembly in-house as well. Super young company, I think under a year. Brings up a whole other topic of enamel dialing. Is that something Halios would uh, be interested in? I would love to, but I would like to do it right. So there's a couple of houses in Switzerland that, yeah. that do the, the true enamel dial. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, there's... Don't shoot me, but there's the alternative lacquer. Yeah. Which is kind of has that glossy finish, but doesn't have that kind of human sort of process mm -hmm. as enamel, mm -hmm. uh, grand food enamel, mm. but possibly. Enamel is so fragile. There's crazing, there's yellowing, yeah. mm. but the work involved is so much more than lacquering. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, it, it's beautiful, but it lasts for such a short time. Mm. Yeah. And I think you have to kind of find an audience that appreciates that. Mm. Yeah. So like myself, I would, I would categorize myself as mass market, mass production watches. So I'm trying to bring a sense of artisan quality to it, but not to the extent where I'm making enamel dials one by one kind right. of thing. Well, so it's like it's you have process, to find that maybe audience. It, maybe it's a process like when it, if you relate to like these independent guys we, we saw at H10, yeah. where their process as they, whatever their, the road that brought them to the uh, ambition of doing stuff yeah. by hand by everything by hand it's yeah. like like what brings you there like maybe you're on that path eventually you know where where you're going to get involved in something where it's, which where you're fully in control of everything that comes out mm -hmm. you don't have to like outsource anything you know the, i think i mean that's romance right there but yeah for sure i mean but then 
then the equation would be you're making, let's say, 20 watches a year, but you're charging like in the five mm, figures. Sure. But I think in the micro brand space, the independent manufacturer space, they're really democratizing stuff like enamel dials. So Anordain, as I mentioned, another company is um, Lundi Bleu from France. Cool. So they hand fired their own enamel dials. And all their, I think with those two companies, it's under $2,000. Yeah. So you're not going to have to pay 15, how much, how much are Hermes watches? Yeah, it's quite a bit more, more than 15. A, a, a little bit more. Yeah. You know, because you have to go through the whole distribution process and the markups mm -hmm. and not saying that it's not a great watch, but I'm saying in the micro brand space, there's a lot of companies that are kind of you know, bringing these technologies and these processes. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's, you know, in, in this hobby, That's it's like, cool, man. That's yeah, I like, that. I like that idea of like making even those processes more accessible. All of a sudden now we're, we're starting to see these uh, artisans that are buying up yeah. Rose engines, yeah. starting to produce some different designs and start to get them back out there, enamel them just or, or, or just put some different colors in. Wow, what a difference this is making. Yeah. Right to be able to do that short run, incredibly beautiful things, right. right? Yeah, that makes a world of difference. Well, that's the thing. It's like I think this is the debate between these old technologies and new technologies. Is mm. like what makes that difference? It's like is is it is it able to be replicated in a new in a new uh, method, or do you really have to do that old method? Human passion. Hmm. It's right. human but it's, it's the time involved in these old methods I think of I, I relate this to music specifically like on, I, I play keyboards yeah. and like there's always the the, uh, the struggle of a, of a keyboardist to get on a, synth, in a synthesizer or an electric keyboard to replicate certain sounds it's like I need to be able to get that B3 that Hammond B3 sound on my keyboard mm -hmm. right because I don't want to huff a, a, a 500 pound a thousand pound uh, organ to a show with me. I want to have a little keyboard that I can yeah, play sure. that same yeah, sound, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? But it, it's like you can, it can't be. It has never been done. Like there's keyboards that have an amazing sound with the drawbars and everything, but they just don't have that same the balls that that original B3 yeah. has. Yeah. Um, but it's like it's getting less and less where people are playing that. So less and less people are experiencing what that means to listen to a real Hammond B3 live. Mm -hmm. You know. So this is an interesting sort of parallel it's like people are missing out on these old technologies potentially but this is the thing is like which of those old technologies resonate the same way uh, yeah. are as important and make a difference it's like you can if you hold a watch that is done a certain way or a dial that's done a certain way and a dial that's done that looks exactly the same are you going to tell the difference a whole different level of education a whole different level of um personal interest right mm. it's lost on the masses but people that really get it they get it mm -hmm. and it's like oh my god even if I can't afford it it's like wow you've just lauded it this is where you see the growable horsey type watches going wow People looking at this going, oh my God, this has never been done. This is so unique. 
this is that there are so few of these watches around mm -hmm. and to top it off you know what we're going to put um uh, a micro sculpture in the crown <laughs> so you can actually right. look at it and go how did anybody carve that yeah right right different level of 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 art in, uh, artisan um Ship. endeavor yeah in, into these things, right? But but here's what I really like about our little world is, you know, let's say you have a company that does a stamped guilloche pattern. Yeah. Just like, you know, stamp right. it. Yeah, 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 sure. So somebody might see that, buy it, because it's affordable, it's cheap, whatever. Yeah. Company that produced it, they just want to sell, sell watches. It looks nice. Looks nice. Yeah. And then they kind of, it kind of like plants a little bug in their brain and they want to learn more about it. What is this pattern? How is this pattern created? All of a sudden. All of a sudden. And you don't really have to buy a $50,000 watch to appreciate it. You can still appreciate the, the craft and the quality that goes behind it. Yeah. And that's what I like about this hobby is like, mm. you can buy the whatever, the, the facsimile or the yeah. close approximation, yeah. but it eventually might lead people to learn about the craft behind it right. and the history right. behind yeah. it. So that's, that's really cool, I think. That is the important thing. That's it in its essence. Thank you everybody for listening if you're still with us. And we, we ultimately promise to make sure that uh, we're going to have a regular podcast for this season. Awesome, guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, on. Buddy. yeah awesome. Really appreciate it. Right. Thank you. And uh, this has been the Roller Cafe. Cafe episode. 355.